Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Today we're going to take a break from our regular reading of going through Mark. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1 as we speak about an issue that is defining our culture and our church. Lost, confused, and deceived. As Christians, we are living through a major cultural shift. What once was considered unnatural is now natural. What was once considered unspeakable is now shouted throughout the media. What once was considered shameful is now celebrated. And what was considered once sin is now a protected right. We live in a world today in which the culture is shifting in light years. Used to be it would take some time, but now the shift is coming in light years and waves. We are definitely living in a post-biblical world that views Scripture as prejudiced, bigoted, and even antiquated. The very truths that you and I, that we have hold dear or sacred, and that once were foundational to our rule of law, are now fading quickly from favor and from view. Andrew Koppelman, in his article from Salon Online Magazine, writes, There was a time not long ago when same-sex marriage was unimaginable. But the meaning of marriage has changed, as Justice Ruth Ginsburg observed traditionally, This is a quote, she says, marriage was a relationship of a dominant male to a subordinate female. In recent decades, it has become less gender specific, so it made less and less sense to try to force gay people into heterosexual marriages. He writes, it is increasingly plausible for same-sex couples to claim that they were not distinct from heterosexual couples in any way that mattered. The older gender-specific understanding of marriage has faded so far that it's not merely rejected It's not even understood. So the concept of marriage that has been the bedrock of all societies for millennia is no longer even recognizable or understood by a vast majority of people, at least here in the Western world. Kevin DeYoung, a pastor in Indiana, writes, asks this question. He asks the questions that churches and pastors and Christians are now having to contemplate something that we never would have considered but now have to ask. That question, he writes, is homosexual activity a sin that must be repented of, forsaken, and forgiven? Or given a right context and commitment, can we consider same-sex sexual intimacy actually a blessing worth celebrating? That's the question that we now have to ask today. And this has real-world implications, not only for you as a believer, but also for churches across America. There's two things that I want to accomplish this message today. First, I want us to understand the biblical view on marriage and sexuality, on marriage and sexuality. The second thing that I'd like to do this morning is to help us understand the Christian response of those two things in light of Scripture. We're going to do this by looking at three areas of concern, marriage, sexuality, and gender identity. 
Father, we just pray that you give us wisdom. This is an issue many times that's, that's a lightning rod, especially today. We don't want to speak of it. We want to hear of it. Father, we, we want to avoid it. We want to run from it. There's some that just want to take up arms and battle to the teeth. But Father, we're in this. We, we, we were here for such a time. And Father, many times the way that we as Christians respond to these is unbiblical in itself. And so I pray that you open our minds and our hearts as we open the Bible, that we'd understand your purposes and our identity, our role in this life, in this world. And with that, Father, that as we understand that, you would come to help us to respond to those who may not agree and also even to those that do. So give us your wisdom. Be with me as I speak. And I pray that your will would be done. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. To begin with, you and I must first start in the beginning with God. See, most people, when they answer this question, they want to start with their own feelings, with their own ideas, with their own minds, and the things that they're struggling with. But the problem is, is that you and I are lost, confused, and deceived. And so our reason and our intellect and our feelings that we have to understand are not reliable to help us through these landmines. So to begin with, we may start where we always start with, and that's with God. You and I must determine who He is and what is His purposes. In Genesis 1.1, the Holy Spirit informs us that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in our call to worship earlier, we had read that Moses proclaims that, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were formed or you had ever formed the earth and the world from ever to everlasting. You are God, which brings us to the first point for those of you who like to take notes. is the thing that you and I must understand before we begin to tackle our response or what does the Bible say, we need to understand who God is. And God, number one, is the creator and designer of all things. He's the one who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong. In Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 23, hopefully you have your Bibles in Genesis 1. If not, it won't take you long to get there. Just open past the table of contents, find Genesis 1, take your finger, you'll see that God is creating all things. We're now on day 6, and look at verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Do we understand that so far? We're created in whose image? God. And so all of a sudden, we're about to see God's created act. So let's go on. So God created them in the image of God, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now this is important. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds, the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And look down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. As our creator and our designer, he is above all else holy. Moses writes in Leviticus 19 that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say this to them, You shall be holy as I am holy. You see, we were all created in the image of God to be holy, to display His glory. And God is looking for worshipers. 
In John 4.23, it says, this is what I'm seeking. I'm seeking such people to worship. Which people? Those who want to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I'm seeking such people. So God created us in order that we might be holy as He is holy, that we may be like Him in the image of God, imitators of God, in order that we may worship Him. Scripture also tells us that God created us with a very special purpose that we might worship Him by mediating His creation. He says, let them have dominion. God says He blesses our first parents and then He commands them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So God was not looking just for one male and one female, two people, to subdue the earth's dominion and to be worshipers and be holy, but He was looking for them to create other images of God through reproduction. God said, fill the earth, subdue it. This is the creation, what we call the creation mandate. I want you to spread who I am. However, as you and I know the story, we failed to do so, incurring not only God's wrath and judgment, but we were also alienated and separated from Him. And not only that, but our work was cursed. Though that creation mandate still exists today, we are now cursed in doing so. You see, you and I are also to get called to continue the work of Adam and Eve. We're to subdue the earth, have dominion over it. We're to fill the earth. Now, that doesn't mean that we come and we lord it over. That's not what the word dominion there means. But it means mediate God's kingdom here on earth. We're to be His envoys. We're to, to rule in His stead. In the fall, the disobedience and rebellion of Adam and Eve against God, the whole human race became lost, confused, and deceived. We were lost because we lost our innocence and our holiness, and our nature has become corrupted. The Bible says that there's nothing within us that can proclaim us to God. It says that we all have gone astray. It says that our life is filled with sins, and that all of our righteousness, all of our good works are like dirty rags. So we lost our innocence. We're lost. We can no longer complete what God has created us to do in the way that He's created us to do it. We've become confused. People are confused of where to go for answers concerning their identity and their purpose in life. Adam and Eve knew it, but they blew it. But still they were to continue to pass that down. And through here we are, millennia later, we still have scripture that tells us what our purpose and what our identity is. Many people still walking around asking the question, why am I here on earth? What's my purpose? Who am I? That echoes throughout every generation. As young people of every nation, tribe and creed and race continually struggle with that question. They're confused, but they're deceived. And that's the problem. People are deceived into thinking that the Bible says nothing about our identity and our purpose. That it's not relevant to our life. And they feel that the answers is somehow inside them. And if they can just find that identity and their purpose within themselves, then no longer will they be confused and lost. However, one negates the other. 
need to realize that the answers are there. In Romans 1, Paul writes that God has judged man and he's found us wanting and found us guilty of suppressing the truth about God. We're lost. We've, we've worshiping man-made gods. We're confused in the sense that we're taking animals and everything else and we worship him. And you say, well, we don't do that today. We have no idols. Well, you and I are filled with idols. John Calvin tells us that our hearts are idol-making factories. You and I all serve many different gods. Your God may be different from mine. Mine may be different from you. But many of us, all of us, are creating that. Today, the God is sexual liberation and being who I want and having sex with who I want and how many times I want. Sex is the new God, beginning from the 60s and 70s and on and on. And here we find ourselves that's about sexual expression. And they're seeing, thinking that that's the answer. He's found them guilty in suppressing the truth about God, worshiping man, man at God's, and then drowning ourselves and satisfying our depraved desires. Satan seeks to destroy that which God has made from the very beginning. He seeks to profane that which God has declared good, and he seeks to deny that which God has proclaimed as truth. And that's the time that you and I live in today. And this is the end result as we speak of marriage and sexuality and gender identity. This is the fruit of that lost, confused, deceived tree. As Satan seeks to muddy the waters. But you and I must understand that God is the creator and designer of all things. It's within Him we find our identity. It's within Him that we find our purpose. We were created in the image of God, created to fill the earth, to create other worshipers of God. The second thing I'd like for you to understand is that God created the human race with two genders. Two genders, male and female. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In this verse of 22 English words, we come to understand God's simple, basic plan. He created two. They were of the same kind, but two. He created two genders, male and female. The term self-identify, which is finding itself like a tidal wave going throughout the world, this affirm of self-identifying our sex, is basically a rebellion against God's plan, design, and purpose. And we see that very clearly. Just last week, I believe, or the week before, we see Bruce Jenner on there, and he's being celebrated of wanting to change who he is. I am not a man. I am a woman trapped. And I don't mean to make light of that phrase, and please do not take it as that. Because I believe that these people are truly lost and confused, and they've been deceived. And that's the whole point of what sharing with you is, is that we need to realize that these feelings are very, very real. Their pain is very, very harmful and hurtful to them. Their suicide rate is very, very high. They're asking the question, did God make a mistake? I remember a couple weeks ago, right before the Bruce Jenner thing, where a mother has a five-year-old son, and since he was three, declared that he was the opposite sex and would poke at himself and hit himself. Why did God make me this way? Why am I a mistake? And the mother is in tears. And I'll tell you, as you read these stories, as you watch them, my heart breaks for them. And we shouldn't just say, well, they get what they deserve. No, these are real people. 
These are people that are made in the image of God, but they're confused, they're lost, and they're deceived in thinking that their sex or their sexual expression is what makes them who they are, and that's not the case. Did God make a mistake? What about how I feel? And some of them have very strong psychological feelings and yearnings. So how do we answer this? Did God all of a sudden have a plan and then decide to go away with His plan? Well, I think we go to Psalms to find the answer. Turn with me to Psalms 139, 13. For we find the answer. Did God make a mistake? What about how I feel? What about my mind, the things that I like, the things I desire? Has God gone away from His plan? Has He decided to abandon it? David, speaking through the gift of the Holy Spirit, says, For you, speaking of God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So as lovingly, but as strongly, we must share with them, but God, there are no mistakes. For God made you this way for this purpose. Your gender is something that God, the designer, is the one who created. He is the one who says, this is who you are. And so our identity is not found in, in so much our sex, but in the fact that we are wonderfully made. And I think it's sad because, to be honest, it's not just someone who's struggling with self-identity that struggles with being wonderfully made. I remember as a youth pastor, I had one lady in our youth group, you know, bulimia was her problem. She looked in a mirror and she saw something different than everyone else saw. She didn't love who she was. She didn't accept who she was. And there may be some of you that have struggled with that in your life or know someone. See, we're confused, we're lost, we're deceived. And Satan, seeking to destroy the image of God, causes us to do things that cause us harm because we can't accept our identity. We can't accept who we are. And let me tell you, the world tries to have an answer. That answer is wrong. And it leads us to more deception, to more confusion. There's a study that has taken place by John Hopkins, famous one. They were the first one who did gender reassignment surgeries. And they eventually abandoned it, saying these people are just as bad as before we started. All we're doing is causing more harm. Their suicide rates were just as high, if not higher, than those who never underwent it. Not only that, for those as children, many times, and I hate to say this phrase because it seems flippant, but I'll use their words, they grew out of it. They no longer identified with what they identified with earlier. And so we have parents who are rushing to gender reassignment surgeries and other types of harmful antidotes because it's cool to have a child who says these things. We all want to jump on the bandwagon. All of a sudden, everyone is this way, and it's a much higher number. But let's not be deceived. Let's not be confused. The Bible tells us that we're created male and female, and our identity is found in our gender, and we should embrace it. We should 
fearfully and wonderfully recognize that we're made in such a way exactly how God has us. Writing about male and female, pastor and theologian Kevin DeYoung writes, reminds us that God has created male and female in that gender so that they may be able to rule and reproduce and have a relationship with Him. Why did He create male and female? It all goes back to the creation order. He says, rule and subdue the earth. In order to do that, you must be fruitful and multiply. God has a plan for the creation mandate to create worshipers and to create us to be holy. God says male and female in order that we may come together to fulfill that, which brings us to the third point. God created marriage in order to fulfill His purposes. Again, we're lost, confused, and deceived if you believe that the only purpose of marriage is to make you happy. Because if you believe that, then you will join the ranks of those that are finding themselves in divorce or remarriage, divorce and remarriage, seeking happiness. Your mate or spouse is not the source of your happiness, is it? For God is the source of happiness. How do we fulfill our identity and purpose as a male and a female? It's through marriage. Marriage is something that I would encourage. We need to pursue. We lost this. We put off marriage until we're older and older and older. Put off children until much further along. Hence why now we have to go to other scientific means to accomplish the creation mandate of just being fruitful and multiply. And let me tell you, if you're here and you're a young person, pursue marriage. It is God's good and perfect plan. Now, does that mean if you're single, you're past God's plan? No. Paul does give us the mystery that actually singleness is a gift, but his perfect plan is to be fruitful and to multiply. Marriage is good. It's one way in which God's purposes and our identity are being fulfilled. Turn to Genesis chapter 2 if you would. You should still be there. Look at verses 20 to 25. God created marriage in order to fulfill His purposes. Genesis chapter 2. God creates Adam. And Adam begins about ruling and subduing the earth by giving names to the animals. This is an important passage. We read through it very quickly, but it's important. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was found no helper fit for him. In other words, as he's naming the animals, he sees as they're coming two by two, he sees that each and every one of them can fulfill the creation mandate of multiplying and being fruitful as God makes them after each their kind. But all of a sudden, Adam looks and sees that, hey, wait a second, there's no mate for me. How in the world am I supposed to be fruitful and multiply these animals that none of them are going to fit? They're never going to be able to help me do this. So in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with his flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to man and said, Here, here is someone that will fit. Here is someone that can help you fulfill the mandate. Go on, verse 23. The man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is one that is after my kind. Verse 24, 
or I'm sorry, flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken on a man. Verse 24, therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God created marriage in order to fulfill his purposes of displaying his wonderful grace to us all. And what's wonderful about this marriage is that they were naked and there was no shame. See, sexual intimacy in Genesis 2, 25, or 20 through 25, it fulfills the creation mandate to subdue, to rule, and to fill the earth. When we see the phrase, after their kind, God created all things and gave them power to reproduce after their kind. God gave us the gift of intimacy and sex, not only for enjoyment, but also for the primary way for you and I to fulfill the creation mandate, to create more people in the image of God in order that they may be holy and worship their creator. It's our highest calling to reproduce and bring up children who will declare the glory of God. You want to know how to grow a church and marry and have children? You want to know how to make new followers of Christ? Get married and have children and raise them up in a godly home. Now that's no guarantee. Because that's what God has called us to do. Pastor, again, Kevin DeYoung writes that same-sex sexual activity is an affront to the design of the Creator. Why is homosexuality and same-sex an affront? Because it stops creation mandate. It really looks at God and says, pound sand. It takes the gift of sex and intimacy and says, this is for me and for my pleasure. It's not what it's about. It doesn't fulfill the creation mandate. It goes against God's design and purposes. It says, I am going to be God. And I'll declare what I want to do with my body and your gifts. To protect against this attack, against the plan of marriage for the creation mandate, God has ordered not only that marriage is between a man and a woman, but also that marriage is between only one man and one woman. God has also commanded that sex is reserved between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship. De Young writes that monogamy makes sense only in the creation understanding of marriage where there's safety, where there's trust, where there's protection for you and the family and the children. It creates those that continue the creation mandate. God also demands sexual purity in Malachi. Take your Bibles and turn to that. If you know where Matthew is in the Bible in the New Testament, turn back a few pages, you'll find Malachi. Last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2. And see, the sexual liberation, the sexual promiscuity that we have today, again, goes against God's creation mandate. As God is holy, He calls us to holiness. In Malachi chapter 2, look at verse 13, He says, And this second thing you do, there is things that God was accusing Israel of doing. He says, Here's the second thing that you've done, Israel. You've covered the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards offering or accepts it with favor from your head. So they're complaining, hey, we're crying out to you. We're giving you sacrifices, but you're not showing your favor to us. You're not showing us your blessings. Verse 14, God says, but you say, why does he not 
They're lost, they're confused, they're deceived, they're doing everything they're supposed to do. What is it that's going on? God continues, because the Lord has a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Here's why I'm not giving you favor, he's saying, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring? So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. In there, I'll give you a pastoral reason why we as Christians should not celebrate same-sex marriages and maybe even attend them. And the fact that marriage is a covenant that God recognizes that whether they are believers or not, God recognizes that as a spiritual union. And what was the purpose? To give godly offspring. The act of same-sex marriages cannot do either. We must recognize that this is something that God actually says in Leviticus is abominable. You see, the world wants us to think about sexual orientation and sexual desires and not God's holy purposes. It wants you to think about your sexual desires more than the holiness of God. And that is what the church has become. Among the church, we also suffer from fornication and premarital sex and divorce. The world wants us to be driven by our sexual desires and our sexual appetites and not our great commission and not our creation mandate. In Romans 6.19, Paul encourages us to remain pure so that we can follow through God. And when he says, I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. He says, because you can't understand. Let me put it very simply. Just as you were once presented your members, speaking of your bodies, as slaves to impurity and slaves to lawliness, those things that God does not find favor in, leading to more lawliness, he says, shall now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. First Corinthians tells us, he warns us, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. That's what he tells us in Romans 1, when he says he gives them over to the depraved mind, doing things that are unseemly, men having sex with men, women having sex with women. He says in the fact that you're sinning against your own body and you're receiving your own recompense. This is the world we live in. It's the entertainment that we get. Is there not one show on TV that does not present these things as good and desirable and things to be celebrated? I can't think of many. But this is the world we live in. They have taken our gender identities. They have taken our marriage. They have taken our sex. They have taken our holiness and they've just thrown it to the wind all in rebellion against the creator and designer. Satan is seeking to destroy God's plan. And he's found a way in which he does it that's just leaving people in ashes. And then fourthly, because even as I share these things with you, you say, yeah, Rob, you've just been giving us nothing but Old Testament you see, Jesus never said anything about this. 
Well, the fourth point is Jesus affirmed the created order. If there are any red-letter Bible people out there, Jesus affirmed this created order. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. To Jesus himself, this created order, this mandate is still in existence. Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 3. And the Pharisees came to Jesus and testing him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them what? Male and female. And said in verse 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer but two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. The argument that Jesus never addressed homosexuality or gender identity is false. That may be true in the strictest of sense in that he didn't use those terms or words, but it isn't true that he didn't address the issue of sexuality at all. Jesus affirmed the created order and all that it entails. Jesus goes back to the beginning as you and I should go back to the beginning. It's not about political politics. It's not about liberties. It's not about just how I feel, but it goes back to the created order. Created male and female in order to be in a covenant relationship, in order that we may produce godly offspring, that we can be holy and glorify God. The problem is that we as Christians have been ignorant, inconsistent, and insistent in regard to God's creation mandate. We have been ignorant of what the Bible teaches is our identity and purpose of life, and hence why we waver on this issue. Because we listen to someone and we're brought into their feelings and it makes sense to us. We have been inconsistent in following the Scripture's commands to be sexually pure and to be faithful to our spouses. We too have said, you know what, it doesn't really matter. And we have been insistent in living out our lives as we see fit, regardless of God's words and God's command. You and I are Adam and Eve. We're lost, confused, and deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 15-20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become flesh. Sex is not just some fling. It's not just some hookup. It's not just something that you do when you feel like it. It dictates something much more spiritual than what we think it is. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin a person commits is outside, but this one sins against his body. Look at verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Christians, we must be clear about this, not only in our own lives, but to our children and other believers. He warns us in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is an eternity issue. This is a heaven and hell issue. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit 
the kingdom of God. You and I are found within those descriptions. None of us are immune or, 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 or put out of this, this order here. But here's where the gospel comes in, amen? For the gospel comes as to the rescue as Paul continues. But such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's the good news that we must use against this wave against God's creation mandate. We must share with them that there is hope for the lost, the confused, and the deceived. There is hope for those that have been struggling with this, these issues. Probably the majority of us are dealing with these issues ourselves or with someone that we know and love or work with. If not, you will soon. How do you and I react? Today we're on the losing side of this debate. Some want to avoid it. Others want to fight it. Others want to embrace it. The problem that you and I need to recognize that this issue is not a political one. It is not just a cultural one. This issue is a gospel issue. There is religious liberty is at stake. It might be suppressed. Our personal conscience may be violated. But most important, the gospel will be under attack. And it is so today. We are not fighting the Supreme Court. We are not fighting someone who's struggling with same-sex identity. We are not struggling with those that are struggling with same-sex attraction or have embraced uh, same-sex marriages. Our fight is against Satan, the principalities and rulers of this world. And I'm not speaking of Obama and Congress and the Supreme Court, but I'm speaking of those that are seeking to destroy what God has given us. But however, you and I must be encouraged to know that the gospel cannot be undermined, it cannot be diminished, and it cannot be dismissed. Amen? For the gospel is greater than all of these. And as we read in our scripture, as you and I need to be praying, as Moses did in Psalms 90, establish the work of our hands. What's the work of our hands? Subdue and have dominion. Multiply and be fruitful. So that we may create others who are made in the image of God. And we do that by raising godly children. We do that, if not godly children, godly grandchildren. Maybe even raising those that do not know Christ. So here's where I want to go. That's what the Bible says. Here's the biblical worldview. And I may not have convinced you there's much more to say about this. But it's time for us as Christians to be engaged in this because we're already past what's going on. The church is always trying to catch up to what's going on in the culture and in politics. You and I have probably have lost this battle. It is my opinion, personal as it is, that the Supreme Court will probably enshrine in the law same-sex marriage. And our church and our preaching may be affected by that. And so we are having to listen and say, what is it then then as our response? Because of this, this does not mean, because people are confused and lost and deceived, this does not mean that you and I react with hate and anger. That's the Westboro folks. Those people are not Christians. Let me say it clearly. I have no problem with saying that that is not the church of Christ and they do not have the Christ in their heart. 
does not mean that we react with judgment and condemnation to those that are struggling with this or have embraced it. It does not mean that we react with frustration and despair because our people are now struggling with these things. We do not react with resignation and acceptance. And we do not react with withdrawal and disinterest in cultural and political affairs. You see, the Christian response is very simple. Is that we're to love and be patient. I pray that we will deal with this in a very big issue. I am praying that through these doors will be married couples that are gay. That we will have people who are in the midst of a transgender reassignment surgery. I pray that we will have people struggling. Why? Because they need the gospel. They will not find the answer anywhere else but through God's word. I'm praying that through our VBS, we may have a, a beautiful family that comes in and their child just loves VBS and when we meet their parents, they're of the same sex. That's going to be a problem. How are we going to deal with that? What if we have a woman come in and she's beautiful and she comes in and she just loves and she's being involved in all sorts of things and then one Sunday she says, hey, I've accepted Christ, but I need to let you know that I was actually born a man. What do we do? How do you react? Does she go to women's group? Does she go to men's group? You see, these are all naughty things that we as a church need to deal with. It. We need to deal with it in a godly way. So that's what discernment and teaching of what the Bible says. It comes through an encouragement and hope. We want to give them encouragement. We want to give them hope. Those people are in the image of God and must be loved and embraced. Not in the fact that we compromise, but we share with them and we cut through the fog of sin. We also must respond with determination and invitation. Come to our church. Come to our groups. Let me come and see who Jesus is. Let us find the answer for you. And then the Christian response, lastly, is the engagement and interest in culture and political affairs. Typically what we do is we just run. But there's some of you that God has pointed for this time to be engaged in such a time for these. And we need those people. We need to pray for those people. i give you another quote. It's from Michael Goheen and Albert Walters in their book, Creation Regained. It says, The task of God's people is to make known the good news of God's renewed reign over the entirety of creation. Christ's kingly authority extends over the whole world. God's mission is equally comprehensive to embody the good news that Jesus again rules over marriage and family, business and politics, art and athletics, leisure and scholarship, sex and technology. Since the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, that mission is as wide as creation. Would you join with me this morning in saying we stand firm that God has called us to fulfill the creation mandate and He has given to us wonderful gifts to do so. I'd ask with every head bowed and every eye closed, I know that this is a difficult subject. To some of you, you might have been convinced. To some of you, you're still not. To some, you're just angry. You're just mad. I don't know where you might be. Maybe you're confused and hurt because you know that you're either struggling with those today or you know someone dear to you who is. 
Let me pray that the gospel is there. Yes, as a church, as a pastor, as elders, we will be imperfect. As a church, we will be imperfect. We will make mistakes in this area. Priori have done so. But let me share with you, the gospel cuts through and helps the lost, helps the confused, and helps those that have been deceived. And Father, we ask for you this morning, would you help us to respond to your word in the way that you've called us to? In the midst of this difficult subject, the one that's going to touch many of our lives in some form or fashion, Father, protect us from having an anger like Jonah where we just want you to judge and just get it all over with. Father, we need to have compassion that they may repent and turn towards you. Give us the compassion of your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.